0: All right, let's go into your next patient. Our next patient is a 53-year-old, a father of two daughters, a lawyer, who came to our office first in March of 2008. He had been instructed to get his colonoscopy post age 50, had kind of put it off for a while, but on finally getting to his routine colonoscopy, was found to have a tumor in his rectum. It was biopsied and it showed an adenocarcinoma. And it was about 8 to 10 centimeters from the anal verge. And at an outside institution, he had an EOS study that thought this lesion was a T2N0 tumor. But he also had had a MRI done, which suggested a small foci of maybe extension in the perirectal soft tissue Suggesting it might be a T3 tumor. So we saw him, we have a very good endoscopic ultrasound program. We redid his EOS and we staged it as a was staged here as a T three N0 tumor. He was seen by a couple colorectal surgeons. He picked out the doctor he wanted, the hospital, which was going to be in New York City. And we began him on neoadjuvant Zolota and radiation therapy. We used the Zolota on a a five-day-a-week program, and he had six weeks of radiation, which he really tolerated quite well. On exam, the tumor actually was smaller. The surgeon saw him two to three weeks after the radiation was completed. And six weeks later, he underwent a mesorectal excision laparoscopically with a temporary ileostomy. And his pathology showed significant downstaging of the tumor. There was a chemoradiation therapy effect noted by the pathologist. Uh, it was still tumor that was staged as a T3, and 13 lymph nodes were sampled, and three lymph nodes showed microscopic cells. So postoperatively, he was a T3N1, and he came to us for additional therapy, which he received an additional four and a half months of Folfox chemotherapy, which he did very well with. His big problems were during that adjuvant Folfox, he had two episodes of small bowel obstructions related to adhesions, none requiring surgery. But after the chemotherapy was completed and he went back to have his ileostomy reversed, just all hell broke loose. He had multiple complications post This reversal. I don't know if it was just temporally related, but he had a rectal abscess that needed to be drained. He had small bowel adhesions with necrotic bowel that had to be removed. He had two separate operations over a period of 30 days. And when he finally reemerged in my office about 35, 36 days later, he now looked like a cancer patient. He looked sick as a dog. He had lost 30 pounds. He was just terribly ill. He was sick. Uh, Though cancer free, he was sick. And it's taken him the additional three months now, where he's just, not quite three months, but two months, where he's now finally beginning to gain weight, get back on his feet, and do the things that he needed to do, he needs to do. So that's where he is right now? That's where he is now, So he's still not feeling well? I would say he is feeling 80% back to normal. What was your impression of him, Axel?
1: Yeah, he definitely looked not perfectly healthy. I mean, you could see that something had taken a toll on him, and he told me that he had just regained some weight. I mean, he had lost about 30 pounds, had regained about 12 pounds, is still about a 30-yard shot when he golfed, you know. So he is still recovering. It's, again, interesting to see that he tolerated the treatment, the preoperative and radiation therapy, very well. He really didn't complain about anything there. <laughs> Went through these nine cycles or eight, nine cycles of Falfox, which he received quite fine. But surprisingly, normally we talk about ileostomy takedown. is something that's more or less almost an outpatient procedure, this really took him down. This really caused a lot of complications. And you wouldn't have guessed it when he looked at the whole scenario. It looked like a routine procedure.
0: And again, what kind of surgeon, what kind of hospital? It was done at a major academic center in New York City by a well-respected surgeon. And, you know, it's difficult. In our hospital, we have a wonderful colorectal program. And this patient really kind of interviewed a bunch of docs. And he just felt more comfortable going to an academic center, per se, for his surgery. So I think all surgeons, I gather, will tell you, sometimes bad things happen. And what's his support system? Who came in with him, if anybody, today? He came in alone today, but he has a wife who's a physical therapist who works full-time who's been very, very supportive. He has two older children, also have been in on a number of occasions during the course of his treatment. So he's a very good family. He's a very pragmatic man. And we talked to him today about, you know, what was this like? 53-year-old, successful lawyer, you know, Wall Street success. And he says, listen, this is what happened to me. And I was told the diagnosis. I did my research. I selected my doctors. And I go on from here. It was almost like a to-do list that he had. He had to go through this, this, this. He
1: kind of itemized, line itemized things and kind of checked it off.
0: You know, the other investigator on this program is Dan Haller, and I was asking Dan what he thought about the ASCO presentations looking at oxaliplatin and rectal cancer. There were a couple of them that were negative. What do you think about that, Axel, and also the ongoing NSAVP trial looking at this question?
1: You know, it was actually surprising when I saw the Italian and the French trial, which had consistent results, actually uh, higher toxicity with oxaplatin based regimen, but no efficacy in terms of PATH-CR rate. I was surprised, in all honesty, because there is an abundance of phase 2 data. Some the actually randomized phase 2 data out there that suggests that oxaplatin would actually add as a radiosensitizer and we use oxaplatin in esophageal cancer for instance. And platinum agents per se should be a good radiosensitizer. So there was some discussion actually when we discussed within our intergroup about the ongoing R4 trial, the NACP R4 trial one of the questions is exactly what does oxaplatin add to preoperative radiochemotherapy? The other question is, is capside been really a substitute for 5FU, which a lot of us take for granted, actually? So I don't expect any. Kind of novel ideas out of that. So, keeping in mind that the NSBP trial has almost completely accrued the patient that is needed for the trial, these 1,400 patients, I don't think there is a need to stop this trial at this point in time. We will need this trial also to confirm these smaller trials from Italy and France. They are smaller trials to really see in this large randomized investigation. But oxaplatin is really not as radiosensitized as much as we thought. I agree with you; the data were not as intriguing as we thought, not at all. I mean, quite disappointing. I would not think the trial needs to be stopped, but it highlights we should probably not use oxaplatin right now outside of a clinical trial setting.
0: Yeah, I guess even before that, I know that were a fair number of people who were utilizing it. A lot of times, larger tumors, younger patients. Dan, had you used any neoadjuvant oxali in this situation? I actually have, Neil. I have had one patient who I've treated, and and it was actually a couple years ago after the Phase two trial at ASCO GI that showed, I think, a close to 29% complete response rate. And it turned out my single patient had a complete response, which I think as a medical oncologist, a complete pathologic response is a wonderful thing to see with our neoadjuvant programs. Curiously, is the data still standing up that your PATH-CRs Outcome, survival, much better? Oh, yeah, they do much better, which
1: could be also related to the fact that they respond to treatment. I mean, you follow these patients up with postoperative chemotherapy, and there's one of the questions that constantly comes up when, patient has a PATH-CR after neoadjuvant radio chemotherapy, let's say a T3N1 tumor by EOS, then tumor is gone after radio chemotherapy. Should this patient receive postoperative chemo? And of course, I mean, these patients have shown to be sensitive to chemotherapy and radiation treatment. The question would rather be if a patient has no response at all or progresses on neoadjuvant radio chemotherapy, should you give chemotherapy afterwards? But again, there's actually, we should mention another trial that's ongoing, an ACOSOC trial which uses capecitabine oxalplatin in T2 tumors with the idea that you might be able to spare these patients a resection or let's say an APR and get away with local excision, which I think could be very important for these patients. And these data will be analyzed very soon and preliminary results are actually quite encouraging.